And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, May 26th, 2020, and I have two special guests with me today, both from the Edward Elmhurst Health System and Elmhurst Memorial Hospital in particular. We have Gene Lydon, who's a system VP for all of EE Health and the chief nursing officer at Elmhurst Memorial Hospital, and Dr. Michelle Mazier, who's both an ER physician and happens to be president of the medical staff. Welcome. Thank Thank you. Appreciate having you. So if I could maybe start with with Gene and just kind of get an update on uh, your current census of COVID patients. Sure. Um, Right now, our inpatient uh, COVID positive patients have gone from 52 last week to 48, which is good. Um, Our rule out or those pending have gone from four to 13. And uh, our deaths have remained, uh, you know, relatively stable. We had one additional death, so we went from 47 to 48. The, the, um, the good news is, is our discharge COVID patients have increased from 274 to 353. So, Rich, in, you know, just a week, we've um, discharged 79 um, uh, patients, which is uh, really good news. Now, when we look at DuPage statistics, we went from 6,076 COVID positive patients to 7,207. The state has also increased with going from 96,485 to 112,017. Um, and unfortunately, our deaths have increased as well. They've gone from 4,234 to 4,884. Um, in terms of updates of the staff, other good news is we've really uh, been unchanged from last week. So when Pam reported there was 29 positive um, staff at Elmhurst, it remains at 29 and our physician practice division remains at 17. So that's good news. And and some of the best news there were those discharged COVID patients. You must uh, be uh, having trouble finding new daffodils as, uh, <laughs> as you plant those out front. And I know they're not real daffodils. But <laughs> no, but uh, I, it's certainly that that area of the daffodils is, is growing, and uh, it, it certainly is a you know, positive uh, image of uh, what really is occurring here. Being that we're in uh, very uncertain times and the stress level at the hospital has to be very high, can you give us an idea of how uh, nurses in particular are being scheduled, you know, in terms of how their shifts work and the length of those shifts? Sure. Um, I think everybody can appreciate that that taking care of a COVID patient uh, because of their high acuity and and actually because of the time it takes to properly uh, put on and put off the personal protective equipment, it requires more nursing staff. And to handle this uh, increased demand, we actually educated and trained different nurses, even including our outpatient nurses, how to take care of inpatients. We trained cardiovascular nurses how to do certain things so they could provide some care in critical care. Um, Now, while some of the nurses maybe in the outpatient setting couldn't take a complete patient assignment, they could um, often take a modified patient assignment. Maybe they could take one or two patients, um, or sometimes they just served honestly as a helper to the to the nursing staff. Um, the other thing we've done is we've utilized advanced practice nurses on the inpatient units 
to help with coordination of care, discharge planning, and just advancing the treatment plans. Um, in terms of shifts, Rich, our nurses continue to do 12-hour shifts. Um, that said, if, if a nurse is willing to pick up eight hours, we will take an eight-hour shift. Um, but I have to say that I'm so thankful for all the nurses who have picked up extra shifts over these past uh, couple of months. And they've gone and they floated to the unit where um, the greatest need is. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And each of the nurses are probably spending more time than anyone else in the hospital with COVID patients that are in the COVID units. And is there anything special that they need to do because of the amount of time they're around those patients that maybe certain other employees wouldn't need to do? Well, you know, our number one priority has always been the safety of patients, staff, and physicians. And I have to say that Edward Elmer's Health has really worked tirelessly to get the uh, personal protective equipment. So our staff really never went without what was needed. And then so as CDC and IDPH guidelines changed, we made the changes in our own guidelines. Um, I think it's been really important to make sure that staff can, as I said, properly put on and take off the PPE. So we did a lot of education and training. In the last few weeks, we've actually given nursing and PCT staff um, an option. Um, those Because they, they care for the patient and they're in the room longer, we've given them the option to wear a, a disposable or reusable N95 mask. And that's uh, the fitted mask with, with filters. Um, if they want to do that instead of a surgical mask. The surgical mask is really what the CDC guideline says. So um, we've just given the options because we have enough of the N95 masks to do so. Um, the only other thing really that's different is um, if, if staff is um, going to be providing care for a patient and the patient is, is coughing a lot, um, they will apply a mask on the patient for a short period of time while they're doing their care. Otherwise, it's really the same kind of isolation kind of guidelines that everyone else is following. As it, as it relates in particular to the emergency room, and I'm guessing this is one that, that um, Dr. Mazir might want to handle, um, the uncertainty of not knowing whether somebody has COVID, whether they're exhibiting symptoms or not when they come in the ER, I'm sure has its own challenges. And how do you, how do you keep the folks in the ER safe and morale up when there's that uncertainty and stress all the time? So I, I think, um, speaking to what Jean mentioned, the, the real thing that has saved us is that from the beginning, we've had the appropriate equipment that we needed. So we've had the appropriate protection throughout all of this. And although a lot of it changed in, in the beginning, it was changing by the minute, we always had what we needed. So I, I don't think that we ever felt not safe um, just because we always had the personal protective equipment to be, um, to be protected. And I think from a morale standpoint, it, it really, I mean, you've seen all of the um, heroes, the healthcare workers are being called heroes. Um, and I think the support of the community has been really amazing. And I think that everybody working in this organization in general has felt it. Um, you know, we wish that we could go out there and thank every person in the community. They started a meal train. We've never seen so much food in this organization. Um, food dropped off, breakfast, lunch, dinner, night shift, food being dropped off. Um, we showed up to work one night and the fire department had put um, flags, lined our walkway with flags and put signs up saying, 
um, you're the real heroes, things like that. So I think the support of the community and the support of the administration in getting us what we need um, has really helped with overall morale throughout. I, w I agree with what Michelle said. I, w I would just add that I think from an internal perspective, you know, communication was critically important and keeping the staff up to date with kind of changes in practice and, and processes and explaining how we're keeping them safe. And um, we've done this with virtual town hall meetings, staff meetings. Um, the other thing is leadership presence and visibility is really important. The, the leaders have been continuously rounding, listening to staff, ans answering their questions, concerning and addressing them quickly. But I will tell you that um, from my perspective, the teamwork and partnership that everyone is uh, displaying is really what kind of holds it all together. And so whether you talk about teamwork among physicians and nurses or between the emergency room and the inpatient units or just the, in general teamwork, I, I think it, it, it's been just amazing. And I have no doubt that that really helps, you know, all the staff and physicians, um, uh, you know, feel the, a positive morale, kind of we're in this together. You know, it just occurred to me, I've been out in the street recently and run into people uh, more than six feet from them, but that I don't recognize. And it's somebody that I know very well because they're wearing a mask. And I bet at the hospital, there are times when there's an administrator or a fellow worker around where they don't even recognize each other. So you're probably your name tags are very important, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been really interesting. I think that for community members coming to the hospital, it, it's probably a little bit of a shocker. You know, we are all wearing masks and goggles and things that we never wore before to keep ourselves safe and them safe. So as it relates to the ER um, and not so much folks that call their physician and get admitted, but somebody walks in the ER and they, they think they may have COVID, you test them, they do have COVID. How do you determine whether or not that person might be admitted or sent home? I think the important thing to know is that just because you are positive does not mean that you have to be admitted to the hospital. It's really the provider taking um, a look at the entire picture and what the patient looks like. Probably the most important factor is um, your respiratory status, the patient's respiratory status, how they're breathing, if their oxygen levels are, are normal. But a good portion of our positive patients are getting discharged to home to quarantine, and they're doing just fine. Great. So th this next question is kind of two parts for either of you, and, and that is how do medical professionals keep their families safe from the virus when they return home? And then how do your families feel about the work you're doing during the pandemic? So I think that probably most of us are way more conscientious of what we're taking home now. Um, so changing out of your clothes when you leave the hospital, we were able to get scrubs for the nursing staff as well that they can change out of, leave at the hospital, put on their street clothes to go back home. And I think most of us are doing that. You know, you hear stories of leaving your shoes in the garage, not taking stuff into your homes, that kind of thing, wiping down cell phones. And of course, you know, we're, we've all been meticulous about hand washing and things like that. So probably a little more cautious than we usually are um, in, you know, in light of this virus. And uh, in terms of families, you know, how I feel, um, I, I have to say my family and friends have been very, you know, proud of the work that I'm doing 
as well as Rich, my, my daughter is an emergency room nurse, actually, at another organization. Um, and so they've just been wonderful to, to both of us, really supportive and understanding of um, not just the physical, you know, kind of wear and tear, but the emotional toll that it can take. Um, so uh, it's whether, you know, that some have dropped off meals, some have sent us cards or just, you know, text messages of encourage, encouragement. So um, it's been really um, quite, quite nice and very supportive, I guess. I, I agree. I, I keep getting cards and gifts and things in the mail. And, and in my thank you note, I say, really, you should be sending a card to the mother of grade school children who now has to homeschool <laughs> her children because that job is pretty hard as well. So, but yeah, the appreciation from friends and family has really been helpful, um, I think, for everybody in getting us through this. Are there uh, other medical professionals other than doctors and nurses that might not have the depth of training that, that you folks do that are having to make adjustments to what they do on a daily basis? And is that more difficult for them because they don't have that deep education? You know, I'll tell you, I, I can speak to the emergency department. You know, it's, it's a team in the emergency department, and there are all levels of education. Um, and I think that we have done a really good job of communicating to everybody the same message. So if you are answering the phone or you are the patient care tech or you're the nurse or you're the doctor, the message has been the same. And the personal protective equipment is the same. There's, there's no hierarchy. Um, it's really everybody gets the same message and gets the same equipment to keep themselves safe. Yeah, and from the inpatient perspective, I mean, I think, you know, the nurses and PCTs have had to make a, adjustments. Um, for example, we've really strongly encouraged them to, you know, combine and coordinate a group tasks to limit the amount of times they're going in and out of the room and to minimize the amount of personal protective equipment. Um, this, this is in contrary to our normal protocol of hourly rounding in, in, the, in the patient's rooms. Um, so they, we have made um, some, uh, some adjustments, but I think uh, foundationally the, 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 the care of the patient and communication um, remains uh, critical. It's just that we're doing it, I think, in different ways. I know that Elmhurst Hospital uh, long ago adopted the plane tree model of care. And, uh, you know, maybe, Gene, you want to take this. Can you give us an idea of what that model of care is and how it's been affected by the pandemic? Sure. You know, the, the plane tree model of care is, is really about providing holistic and humanistic care to the patient, understanding that, that families are very important to uh, the patient in the healing process. And so there's many, many different components and elements of plantry, even the way um, the Almers Hospital is built in terms of the colors and uh, the adjacencies and and um, having space for families together, having space for staff. Those are all kind of components of plantry. So I would say this, that the, there is still the strong culture of plantry, which is really about patient patient care and it's still here but again similar to the staff there has there has been some uh, adjustments that um, we've needed to to make in just how we live out if you will our plain tree philosophy so a really good example is as i was saying about the families being very important to the healing process 
part of our, our, our plain tree philosophy is patient-directed visiting so that, that the patients can, can uh, basically decide uh, when uh, uh, their loved ones come in the hospital. They can stay overnight, for example. And we know that that's important, but yet for everyone's safety, we had to not allow visitors. So we've had to, to make some creative changes. So our patient experience team and our staff have utilized um, iPads to, to help you know, connect patients and families together. Um, I will say that our staff is, is looking forward to the day again that we can have you know, visitors safely. And um, currently I'm on a committee that we're, we're looking at um, how we could do this um, and do it safely. And so um, we would like to pilot uh, at least one care partner coming um, with our surgical patients, both outpatient and inpatients, first, and we're hoping to start this maybe first or second week of June. Again, we still have to meet all the safety requirements in terms of the masking, social distancing, all of those things, but we would uh, like to try it on a small group of patients, and then, um, again, if, um, if all goes well, then, again, we can open it up. I will say that's for the non-COVID patients. I want to stress that. Sure. Does there, there seem to be any evidence at this point that if a patient uh, shows to be to test positive for the presence of COVID-related antibodies, that they will be resistant to uh, catching the disease again? You know, the, the unfortunate answer is we don't know. So we rolled out our antibody testing today, and basically what you can know from having a positive antibody test is that you have had a prior infection. But because there's so much unknown with this virus, we, we just don't know what that means for potential for reinfection at this point. So we're still recommending that even if you have a positive antibody test, that you still um, take the necessary precautions um, like we're all taking. Have you had any patients in the ER where you took one look at them and say, well, wow, I, I really think they do have COVID and you test them and they test negative? We have, and we have a process in place that if you, particularly for an admitted patient, if you had an admitted patient that you were highly suspicious and the tests were to, were to come back negative for one reason or another, we still maintain those people in an isolation situation um, until we're certain. So maybe we discover, okay, we found an alternative diagnosis to the COVID. We can be more comfortable with their negative test, or we can retest them, um, that kind of thing. But we, we really use our, our clinical judgment to determine um, the isolation status along with the results of the test. So are there any very odd or unique safety precautions that are being taken right now at the hospital that most of us on the outside wouldn't even think about? Well, for me personally, I think that it would be a little shocking. In the emergency department, we are fortunate enough to have reusable respirators, but they basically are, it looks like a commercial respirator that you could find at Home Depot for painters or construction work, but they are approved and they have N95 filters. And we are lucky enough to not only have acquired um, enough of those for staff at all of the emergency departments, but we have also been able to put together a cleaning crew. So we have staff dedicated to cleaning these masks in the appropriate um, fashion so that we can reuse them. And that was a big part of us uh, decreasing how much of our 
personal protective equipment we're going through. So, but it's a little bit of a shocker when you're laying in an, an ER bed and your doctor walks in with this, the, you know, this big respirator on. Um, but it's, you know, we adapted and it's been a great, it's been a great benefit for our staff. I, I think, Rich, the other important thing, I'm not sure I would say it's unique, but I think the important thing for the community to know is we really carefully place our patients within the emergency room as well as on the inpatient units. And so we really segregate out the COVID positive and the pending patients from the non-COVID uh, patients. So, for example, our whole fourth floor, which is on the inpatient unit, is uh, surgical and um, medical oncology. Um, we call that we're, they're completely clean. In other words, we have no COVID patients on that unit. We don't have any COVID patients on our cardiovascular unit. So we've cohorted the medical um, COVID patients um, on the fifth floor medical unit, and we have, again, three pods of COVID positive or pending, um, and then the uh, other pods, again, that are segregated um, can have non-COVID patients. And I think the only other thing that I would add to to Michelle's point is that um, certainly we, we have uh, really robust cleaning procedures with special equipment that we have. And so we've really increased um, our cleaning efforts on um, all the inpatient units and within the ED. And um, I, I, I know that, um, you know, that, that, that patients are, are uh, you know, anxious about kind of coming back to the hospital. But I, I will tell you from my perspective, that I really believe it, um, it is safe for patients to come back. And, and maybe Michelle can comment on this, is that we're getting concerned about some people delaying their care to the point that they're coming in so much sicker, um, as well as with complications. So, for example, they've seen more ruptured appendixes um, now because people have been waiting. So I don't know, Michelle, if you have anything to add up to that. Yeah, I think that the community as a whole watches the media and they think that all emergency departments look like those in Italy and New York. Um, and we, we don't look like that. Um, the, the truth is our ER volumes are actually down. Um, I personally feel when I go to work that it is probably the least likely place that I am going to catch COVID despite the fact that I might see multiple positive patients during a shift. Um, I think we have everything in place to keep myself safe and the patient safe. So I feel very comfortable being at work. Um, and I think that we need the community to know that. We need them to know that there are certain things that they just should not be ignoring. You know, your chest pain, your abdominal pain, um, stroke symptoms, any kind of severe symptoms that you're having. I think the community thinks they're doing us a favor by staying away, but it, it really, I worry about what things look like, what the health of our community looks like in six months. Sure. after people have ignored their, their symptoms because they either were trying to protect us um, and save us or they were afraid to come. There, there's nothing, in my mind, there's nothing to be afraid of coming to the hospital. Well, your words, uh, both of your words certainly comfort me as it relates to going to the hospital if need be. Um, on a personal side, how comfortable would each of you be uh, once the governor reopens restaurants? And I know that later this week, they can uh, do outdoor seating, but when they reopen restaurants for indoor seating, how comfortable will each of you be going into a restaurant and what safety precautions might you take in addition to normal precautions? Well, I'll tell you, Rich, um, I am not popular in my house right now because 
I am taking a pretty conservative approach to this. Um, again, I feel like when I go to work, I'm very safe. I am not going to contract coronavirus at work, but I am worried about being out in public because I don't have control. So I don't have control over how much other people have been socially distancing and quarantining. And so I am going to be a little reserved. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the need to um, get back out there and patronize our restaurants and things like that. So we're doing takeout for a few more weeks until we make sure that we don't see a spike um, as we let the public get back together. And, and for me, Rich, um, I think what I'm interested in is just uh, less of a, about going to a restaurant, but actually just being with friends and family. So the, the ability now that the weather is nicer to be able to, to be outside and to socially distance and all of those things, um, that is kind of where, where I would like to, to, uh, to get to. Great. Well, uh, Gene Lydon, System VP and Chief Nursing Officer at uh, Edward Elmhurst Health, and Dr. Michelle Mazir, ER physician, president of the medical staff. I thank you both, and I want you both to know that you have an E-Town Lowdown coffee mug suitable for all types of beverages on its way to each of you. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for being our guest. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley. As president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown, and you should too. Give it a try. About my money on a Bobdale nag. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, how you doing? Slappy Sal here for the E-Town Lowdown with yet another food review. You know, normally Slappy Sal, he, he doesn't go to a whole lot of Irish places, but it was around St. Paddy's Day, I figured, hey. Maybe I ought to give it a try. So I headed on over to Riley's on York Road. You know, the gathering place, they call it. Figure, hey, if it's good enough for the Irish to gather there, it's probably good enough for Sal, too. So I went over there with Denise and the nephew. I did that joke sold. I think my grandmother brought it over on the boat with her. So we go over to Riley's. We're checking the place out. I got to tell you right off the bat, Sal's uh, impressed. They got PBRs. Now, I've, I know as a fact... Both Robbie and Rick have been known to tip a PBR or two in their day. So I figure, good enough for me, good enough for them. I heard a rumor once that PK likes to tip a PBR or two. I can't prove that. But uh, maybe someday I'll get them over to Riley's. Turns out they got really good food. I like this place. Got a comfortable sandwich type of an environment. Get a burger. They got something called a hangover sandwich. I wasn't hungover, so I didn't get any. But, uh, you know, they, they make a nice comfort food. Uh, Tuesdays is what I understand is the day you want to go and get a burrito. They got a uh, cook, makes an authentic burrito. Apparently, it's out of this world. So, I got to say, not too bad for an Italian being in an Irish place. I heard a rumor once we had a uh, half Italian and half Irish mayor, so he probably hung out there, I would imagine. 
But uh, yeah, not bad. It's a comfortable gathering place with good comfort, solid food. So Slappy Sal says, hey, if you're in the mood, go check out Riley's. And remember, like John Lennon said, all you need is love, but a cannoli don't hurt either. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.